A trillion here, a trillion there. As Congress prepares to spend relatively more money than it spent on World War II, the question arises whether the federal workforce even has the capacity to carry out whatever programs that coming money will spawn. My next guest says that the government needs a parallel investment in management capacity. He's a professor in the key executive leadership program at American University, Bob Tobias. And, Bob, I think you make a good point. The question is if there's all these giant new pro- – let alone the accountability required for that money, does the federal bureaucracy as it stands now have the capacity to deal with all of it? Well, as you point out, Tom, we've got the $1.8 billion American Rescue Plan, which President Biden signed on March 11. We have a $1.0 trillion infrastructure plan, which is up for grabs, and a $3.5 billion budget reconciliation bill that's in the pipeline. All of this legislation creates new programs and expands existing programs. President Biden says that this is an investment in America. I think we need a parallel investment in increasing the federal manager leadership capacity to implement the congressional intention when they draft these programs. Because we've already seen what can happen to an agency like the IRS, which had a delayed filing season a couple of years in a row, and it also had all of these new payment mandates, and it was the agency tasked with getting those payments out, which it was able to do, but you can't call the IRS and get anyone to answer the phone. So they had this terrible customer service failure, even though they were trying to carry out all this new mandates under strange conditions. So maybe that's like the canary in the mineshaft. It is. And, you know, the circus atmosphere that's associated with the birthing of public policy, you know, it's conducted in this great spotlight where Rachel Maddow and Tucker Carlson have all of these conversations back and forth. And then the circus spotlight shifts to the next public policy creation issue. But what's left are federal manager leaders who have to revise regulations for existing programs, create new regulations for new programs, design new organizations, hire people, train people, put them into place to make the legislation real to the public. All right. So then do you have any sense? I mean, if they spend five trillion, four point one trillion, three point five trillion, there's all these numbers that'll eventually come out. Who knows how much it'll actually be? What would it take? I mean, 20 percent more federal workforce, 30 percent more. Does anyone really have that calculus available? I don't think so, Tom. Here's what we know. We know that there's a direct link between federal employee viewpoint scores and agency productivity. We also know that some federal manager leaders have natural talent. Some leaders are trial and error and become great leaders, but all federal manager leaders can increase their capacity to lead others if indeed they're given the training opportunity. That we also know. And the real goal is for these federal manager leaders to create an environment where those they lead choose to give their discretionary energy to the leader to accomplish these goals and objectives, to create the intellectual and the emotional connection that will lead to more productivity and an engaged workforce. We're speaking with Bob Tobias, professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. And 
You also have some practical matters, though, correct? To get the people ingested into the government, you have to have streamlined hiring processes, but then you have to have really speedy ways of training people in, for example, if someone comes in to do accountability, federal accounting is a beast all unto itself, and it has its own internal logic, but it might be very different from what you knew in the private sector, for example, if you decide, I'd like to help the government account for this money. It's true. When you hire new people, you have to give them skills training. And that's often recognized. We need to give people the skills they need to perform the work. But what is often overlooked and ignored is increasing the capacity to lead, increasing the ability to unlearn old ineffective behaviors and learn new effective behaviors, how to create a safe environment, how to inspire people to do the work. That focus is rarely, if ever, provided for. So invest in these folks. Whatever happened to the, I mean, I shouldn't say whatever happened to them, they still exist. There are training institutes for federal leadership operated by the federal government and nice settings and people can go to them. Maybe that needs to be expanded. I think it does, Tom. I think it does. Certainly there are programs that provide, you know, like the key executive leadership program that provide leadership development opportunities but it needs to be scaled hugely in order to meet this pressing need. Well, the question then becomes, where is the money going to come from to do this? Because what Congress is planning on appropriating may or may not have any kind of leadership development funds in it. It may have hiring funds, but that's not the same thing that you've been talking about. It is not. And I believe that agencies across the federal government have year-end money, Tom, year-end money that was unspent because there was no travel due to COVID. Everybody's looking at their Zoom screen. They're not getting in line and on airplanes and traveling in hotels and spending all of the travel funds that have been allocated by Congress last year. So they have year-end money to spend, invest in federal manager leaders. And there's also the issue that a lot of the money appropriated for specific purposes. I'm thinking, for example, of the Veterans Affairs Department got almost $20 billion in COVID money last year, and they only obligated about maybe a third of it, or they only spent about a third of it, obligated maybe half of it. I'm betting here and there there are serious levels of money left over. And for purposes of training, you would think that to take a fraction of what's left over hundreds of thousands even, or a few million, that Congress might go along with reprogramming that for the purposes you outline? Yes, indeed. The issue is, if there's a will to invest, I believe the money is available to realize that investment. And so far, historically, leadership development has been last on the list. And I think now it needs to be first on the list. And should this start with the cabinet secretaries? These are appointees. But if they want to strengthen the departments they lead and have them somehow endure in that strength after the particular crop of politicals in there now departs, that would seem like a good investment. It would. No question. Bob Tobias is a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. As always, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving 
our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and 
how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federals organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, w- WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. 
Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.